This is Make Yourself at Home, a BizNow podcast where we examine life in the pandemic and how real estate groups and organisations are making changes and adapting. This week, our guest is Sia Weaver, the campaign coordinator at Housing Justice for All, a statewide coalition of tenant groups. She's one of the advocates that helped push for broad changes to the state's rent laws that were signed last year. She says achieving far more than housing advocates ever expected. Now she's at the forefront of the cancel rent movement. It's not that she thinks no one should pay rent. Those who can, should. But she says it shouldn't be up to the tenants to prove hardship, but the landlords. She breaks down how she thinks it should work in a moment, as well as the group's legislative priorities. But first, I asked her how she got into this work in the first place. I started doing this work about 10 years ago. At the time, we were in the middle of a foreclosure crisis, and it was a sort of different housing crisis than the moment that we're in right now. And the impacts were the same, though. Our buildings were being divested from, and tenants were struggling to hang on to their homes. There was a lot of harassment to force people out. And it was in that moment that I really came to think that we needed to do a lot more to shift the balance of power from landlords to renters, and we needed to do a lot more to ensure um, stability for tenants in their homes. Did you have a personal experience? I mean, had you been evicted or had you struggled with rent? Had you had a bad experience with the landlord? I mean, what was the, the trigger, I guess, to really jump into this type of work? Yeah, so I grew up in Rochester, New York, which is a really unequal and segregated city and experienced there how the housing market really drove inequality in all other sorts of public services public schools, public parks, that kind of thing. And so I always have thought figuring out a way to stabilize the housing market and to make housing um, a right and not a commodity was critical for figuring out how to do many, many, many other things. So it was just, it was an evolution. It was something that you grew up with and then you eventually, it became your work. Mm -hmm. So you had a lot of success last year and it was as far as I understand, a surprise success in a way for you. Can you walk me through that? Um, So, wow. So last year was a product of decades and decades of tenant advocacy. We won more than we ever thought we could have imagined, but that's really a testament to the power of the thousands of tenants who came together across the state to demand more and to the sort of... the, The way that the real estate industry had really come to like rely on and assume way too much power in Albany, right? Um, I think between the 2018 electoral cycle, we really saw that voters were largely disenchanted with real estate and the power that real estate would wield in both elections and then in legislation and policy. And so we were able to use the 2018 electoral cycle to set the tone for the 2019 legislative cycle. And that was able to produce that plus an extremely powerful tenant movement that had been decades in the making was able to produce really historic wins. And it was more than you thought you'd ever get. What were you hoping you'd get? You know, for a long time, I will say, I will just say for a long time, tenants had been going to Albany and fighting for 
reforms to our rent stabilization system that were really based on closing loopholes. What is different about 2019 is that we didn't just close the loopholes, we expanded the system to cover a lot more people. And expanding it across the state, fully eliminating deregulation, those are wins that are going to make sure that we're not just stopping the bleeding, we're actually expanding the number of people who are coming into a regulatory system. And that's what we want. Flash forward to today, you're at the forefront of pushing the cancel rent movement. Um, and I can even see, like I'm looking at your your Zoom picture right now and um, you've got rent freeze now as your picture. Members of the real estate community say that that's like a really dangerous proposition. It'll cause chaos. It'll encourage people not to pay rent, even if they can pay their rent, if they still have their jobs. So do you really think that all rent should be cancelled? So I actually think that the reality is, is most people want to pay rent. If you can afford to pay your rent, you want to pay it, right? I think that it's a marker of economic stability and housing security to be able to pay your rent. And that's what people want. Nobody is eager to not pay their rent, right? I really do think that the only way to make sure that the most needy folks are getting served by the program and the way that we can deliver the program the fastest to the people who need it the most is to make the cancel rent program universal. So that being said, I also think that cancel rent is the only way that we can make this program actually affordable, right? Our program says that it's really simple, right? It's that rent should be canceled and that instead of tenants proving hardship, landlords should prove hardship. So I actually think that if rent is canceled, people will still pay their rent if they can. Um, And I hope that they do, right? I would encourage them to do so. And people who can't are just not going to be evicted for it. It's more like, um, think of it as like a rent jubilee or like clearing people's back rents or making sure that no evictions can happen because of rent that was owed during this particular pandemic period. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like it would be an honor system. Pretty much. Is that right? So rent's cancelled. If you can pay rent, pay it. If you can't, don't. Yeah, and you can't be evicted for it. And your landlord, if your landlord's a mom and pop landlord or a not-for-profit landlord or even a large landlord who relies on those funds to make repairs and to remain whole, they can go to the state and they can apply for hardship and, and receive it, right? That's, that's our ideal program set up. And if you're Blackstone or if you're a big corporate landlord, of which there are many in New York who have been earning millions and millions of dollars off the backs of tenants for years who don't need these resources, they're not going to go to you. So what makes you think uh, or gives you the sense that if you can, if rent's cancelled, those who can pay it will pay it? People want to pay rent. That's like sort of the, the people are not eager to not pay rent. People want to be able to afford where they live. Um, being able to pay rent is a, it's a measure of economic stability. It's a measure of housing security. That's what people want to be able to do. No one is like looking for a handout. What people are looking for is um, an ability to live. But we don't ever, we don't actually know if that's the case because it's never really been a, a rent cancelled situation. The reality is, is that if there is a barrier to entry for people who, if people need to prove hardship, we know that people who desperately need support are not going to get it. And so what we are really trying to do is we are trying to get to a universal program to ensure that everyone who needs access can have it. What we hear from the landlords or what we've been hearing from landlords kind of nationally is that rents are relatively healthy at the moment. I'm hearing numbers like over 80%. So 
given that, and and when when they say that, they say, well, we've been work, we're getting partial rents as well, and we've been working with tenants. Given that, do you still think council rent is an appropriate approach? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are tenants in New York State owe two point one billion dollars in rent. There are one point four million households who are facing eviction because they have missed at least one month's payment in rent. You know, if people are paying their rent. Um, I think that they should continue to pay it if they can. But if they can't, they shouldn't be evicted for not being able to pay during this moment of unprecedented crisis. That's as simple as it it can be. And so we just put it down to almost like an honor system because, and you think that'll work because people don't want to be in a position where they're just squatting in a house. Right, right. Is there like um, theories that you're drawing on to support that? I mean, is there anything... I mean, I know that you say that rent is a marker of economic security and that sort of thing, but are there other types of ideas or or historical examples that you're basing that on? In this moment, what we're really trying to do is really question why housing is something that is a commodity and something that is run for profit. Um, We think that housing should be a right that should be guaranteed to folks. And I think the cancel rent movement is really about questioning why do why do you think that landlords have a right to profit and why should you be profiting off something that like people deeply deeply need and so i think that that's the sort of ideology that we're really drawing on here that in a pandemic housing equals health care and that in a pandemic when we are being told that we need to shelter in place and stay home we shouldn't be taking people's homes away from them right and so when we're saying that we need to cancel rent, what we're really saying is that there isn't, right now, I mean, what we have is a right to profit. And right now, what we really want to get to is a right to housing. I can imagine a, a landlord listening to this and their blood just absolutely boiling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I, my blood boils when I hear about landlords' rights to evict people. It's violent. It's like a, the, our existing property, the relationship that we have to property in this country is violent and it's racist and we're trying to move to something different. I'm going to get emails when this comes out because last time I wrote a story about the uh, eviction moratorium being extended, someone wrote to me and said, well, why don't you ask the governor how landlords are go- going to pay their tax bill, how they're going to do repairs? And I'm sure that you hear that all the time. What's your response to that argument? I think our, our legislation is quite clear that landlords should be getting the resources that they need from the state to do that. But what if the state doesn't have them? The state's broke. We think the state, the state has them. The state absolutely, I mean, the state needs to raise taxes on billionaire landlords and on billionaires in general and on corporations. There are lots of revenue raiser proposals out there and the federal government needs to send money to New York State as well. Um, there are options, right? But. I don't understand why people think the option should be evictions and asking tenants, the people who need the most support and the homeless to suffer more when there are like 118 billionaires in our state who we could raise revenue from, who we could use to fund, we could use that money to fund the operations of housing, the operations of buildings, you know, that's what, that's what we're trying to get to here. We're trying to say, if you need that support to raise, to keep your buildings cash flowing, we want to give you that support. You know, we want to. We're just asking landlords to prove hardship, not renters. And I think that that's really appropriate, right? Like landlords have a bigger cushion than renters. It's just true. They own property in New York City. Tenants don't have that cushion. I, I think it's like, 
it's it's frankly like silly to me. It, it's a hysteria that we hear from the real estate industry is fear mongering and really deeply ideological. When you say ideological, what do you mean? Uh, about their belief that their the fact that they own property gives them some sort of like higher God given right, um, and I don't I, I don't believe that. I mean, I guess that's just capitalism, one hundred and one. Yeah. yeah, I guess. So are you like your your anti capitalism? I don't know. Is it? Would you say that? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I would say that. <laughs> so socialist. Yeah. So I just want to put to you what I imagine a landlord, if they were here, would put to you right now. They will say, if we don't pay rent, we can't pay the bills. We can't pay taxes. It'll send a shockwave through the system that's not going to help anybody. Mm -hmm. So the reality is we know that over the last 40 years, landlords' profits have increased tremendously as a result in many ways from public policy, right? Um, Our economic and political structure has been set up to sort of facilitate and enhance property ownership over housing rights. So what we are trying to do now is correct for those 40 or 50 or 100 years of public policy that's prioritized real estate. Um, In those 40 years or more, the real estate industry is both consolidated and it's generated an immense amount of wealth, right? And so we're not saying, you know, and I think it's really critical that, that people understand this, right? We are not saying that if landlords need money to cover their taxes and to cover their maintenance of their buildings and to cover their mortgages, we want to give them that money. But we are also saying that there are many, 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 many corporate landlords in New York City who can go four months without rent and they will be fine. And so we're trying to tease out which property owners actually need support and which ones have been getting that support for a long time and don't honestly need it. Blackstone is sitting on billions of dollars in dry powder. Blackstone is one of the biggest rent-stabilized landlords in New York City. It's okay for them to go a couple months without collecting rent. And I just, like, don't actually buy that, like... I think it's a little bit ridiculous to like talk about Blackstone being in the same situation as a tenant right now. That's just not true. And I don't understand why the frame should be like we need to bail out them and we don't need to like care and have care or concern for like the tenants who are going to lose their homes with like lifelong economic and social and health impacts of an eviction. The worry is, I mean, I think from the landlord side, and again, I'm just putting to you what a landlord would put to you right now if they were on this call. They say there are mom and pop landlords whose buildings will be repossessed, that, you know, the banks will become the landlords. Would that really be a good outcome? I don't think that that's what we're saying. I I think we've said many times that if there are mom and pop landlords in this situation who need resources, they should get resources. They should be given to them by the state, which is not actually that different from what the landlords are saying. Um, The landlords are saying the same thing. They just want the tenants to be the ones to have to prove hardship. We're saying we want the landlords to be the ones to have to prove hardship. That's really the distinction here. And have you had much success in kind of having that conversation with those mom and pop landlords that you do communicate with? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, mom and pop landlords don't also don't evict their tenants at the rate that corporate landlords do. And, you know, I think this is just um, mom and pop landlords are open to what we're proposing. 
The state has got the um, eviction moratorium in place and you've described that as a, a really great victory um, for your group. How effective has it been? I mean, what is your sense on the ground speaking to tenants and speaking to renters in the city? I mean, people are not being evicted because of it, so it's been effective. Um, I think that what's been challenging and the reason why we're continuing to fight for legislation as opposed to just these court orders is that it's confusing. People are really confused about what their rights are at any given moment, and the governor will say something or the courts will say something or this will expire or a new order will come in. And what we really need to see happen is we need stability. We need clarity. We need a legislative solution that passes an eviction moratorium for a year. And I think that stability is something that the real estate and predictability is something that the real estate industry craves as well, right? Like it's not helpful for anyone for the rules to change on evictions every five days. So tell me about what legislation you want? Um, so we have three pieces of legislation before the before the state legislature right now. One is a bill that would forgive rents and mortgages. One is a bill that would um, pass a year-long eviction moratorium. And one is a bill that would provide uh, rent relief and housing relief for families that are experiencing homelessness. How are they going? Uh, it's going pretty well, I think. Um, there's a lot of grassroots energy and support for these bills and um, support in the legislature as well. Um, in addition, folks who are in support of these measures just overwhelmingly won Democratic primaries against folks who were not in support last week. So I think, you know, the people are behind us and, and that's where you want to be. So, yeah, so you must be feeling good having seen those wins? I think the, the wins were important, but, you know, still nothing has happened. And we're really concerned about the fact that there are millions of people who are about to be evicted and the governor still hasn't done anything. So we, 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 we have momentum. The momentum is good. I know that we are hopeful, but it's not, it's not like we can rest. So there's good grassroots energy from your point of view. There's, um, there's the political winds swinging in that favour. Um, what about on the other side, though? Have you heard anything about and, and have you sensed a pushback uh, from the real estate community? Because I imagine they would be kind of mobilising as well to, if it doesn't read suitably to them, they're going to be trying to, to kill it. Yeah, the real estate industry is trying to mobilize against us, that's for sure. They're in support of a tenant-based voucher program, Um, so a program that would provide money to renters to pay the rent. Okay, and you don't think that's a good idea? So I think that, you know, like I said, it will leave out the people who need it the most. Um, The state passed a rent voucher program a couple uh, months ago. And the rollout was absolutely horrendous. Um, the website was down for two, the first two days that it was open because of the volume. It's going to serve a fraction of the people who need support. It is like if you're undocumented, if you work in the gig economy, if you work in the cash economy, you're unable to get resources. And so a lot of the people who have been really harmed by this program couldn't be served by a voucher program. In addition, we actually think voucher programs are more expensive, right? So a cancel rent program is actually fiscally responsible in a moment when the state is in austerity, right? So that's the point that, you know, I think is really important to make about about vouchers. They really are just a landlord bailout and they're bailing out people who really don't need support. Do you foresee, I mean, when you look back on last year, 
I don't think there's any landlords or members of the real estate community in the city that would consider that a compromise, an arrangement that worked for both sides. The real estate industry was really, 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 I'll say it again, really upset about that outcome. Do you foresee this time around where there's bills um, awaiting signing and there is conversations taking place, various interest groups pushing for what they want and what they think is right. Do you foresee maybe a compromise being reached considering everyone has a a lot of skin in this game? I really couldn't say. I mean, it's our job to, it's, you know, it's our job to organize the tenant movement and to call on our state legislature to to stand with renters. I, I really, you know, it's not necessarily my job to negotiate with the real estate industry, so I couldn't really say. The real estate community's biggest argument is that the only way to make rent more affordable, and this is kind of stepping back from this immediate crisis and talking about the problem in a more macro way. The real estate community says that the fundamental way to make things more affordable is to increase the supply, so just build more affordable housing. And making that challenging slows down that process. I guess you probably hear that all the time. What's your take on that? Well, a couple things. One is our market is so broken, right? The real estate market is so deeply broken. There is like a glut of apartments at the top of the market. And then there is a massive shortage of apartments at the bottom of the market. So if it was true that um, what we just needed was more supply, there would we would see rents going way 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 down at the top of the market to sort of adjust and meet that 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 um that crisis right that I just laid out, but we're not seeing that um we're seeing rents maybe go down a little bit at the top of the market, but they're not really going down to like where you would need them to go down to be able to house the ninety two thousand people who are homeless right so I think that while I agree with the real estate industry that we need more supply and in particularly we need more supply of housing that's, you know, income targeted and and run for for people, um, it's really not sufficient and it's really uh, that argument that supply demand and the market will work it out, like it has never been proven to be true. Um, So I'm not exactly sure that I agree that that's the only solution we can pursue. It's like a notorious, notoriously inelastic market um, and the real estate industry is incredibly committed to profits. So they don't actually adjust rents and costs to meet like the needs of people's ability to pay. If that were true, we wouldn't see so many vacancies in luxury housing and we wouldn't see so many homeless families. What are you telling? I mean, I know that you were um, you advised uh, Diane Richardson uh, back when she ran for for assembly, and and she was one of the first people to like kind of publicly push against taking real estate dollars. And from that, there's been lots of examples of people doing that and running on that platform since. Um, I mean, is that the it, it, what are you what are you strategy wise? What do you tell politicians these days? I mean, I think that it's just really clear that the electorate and progressive voters don't want politicians to take real estate money. Um, And so for them, it's like it's a matter of self-interest. They want to win these elections. They want to represent their district. Their districts don't want them to do that. (laughs) Um, That's just where the public is. I wonder how that changed so quickly. I mean, it wasn't long ago that they everyone was taking real estate dollars. 
Um, I think a couple things. One is a housing crisis got really bad. Um, the second is a greater and greater share of the population is renting and renting permanently. Um, and this like permanent housing precarity is not a sustainable solution um, for New York. And that's where we are. Sia Weaver is the campaign coordinator at Housing Justice for All. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.